Welcome to the March 14th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 9, verses 26 through 41, and the sermon is entitled, But Now I See, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We're going to move on in a sermon series. Get your Bible out if you're home, get your Bible out, put it on your lap, and go to John chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 9. We're going to move another step further in our study through this gospel and of course you know from Bible school and and uh, Sunday school that if you're studying a gospel you're studying good news the good news of a Savior who came to us and for us proclaimed by the disciple John in the gospel of John he had walked with Jesus in three years of ministry some 50 years before and God had allowed those memories to percolate in his mind and he inspired John to write this gospel of the high watermarks of the life of Jesus Christ. John himself said, if every act were to be written down of Jesus' life, the world could not contain the books. But he writes down this gospel to show us a direct and intense view of the life of Jesus. And his intention is to see the life of Jesus that the world might come to him as Savior. This book has an intention stated in the 20th chapter, verse 30, that it is intended to bring the world to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So every chapter of the gospel is important, intended to reach out to people, to build up believers in the ministry that God has given to us. It builds us up today as the church of the living Lord. Now, last week, we opened chapter 9 of the Gospel of John. This is one of the most memorable scenes in the life of Jesus as it's covered through the stories and the Gospels of the Bible. But let me briefly cover what we uh, preached on last week uh, as we opened John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking through Jerusalem, and Jesus has a divine appointment with a blind man. Now, let me step aside to say this. Jesus had divine appointments. He had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. He had a divine appointment with a lame man. He had this, blind, uh, this appointment, this divine appointment with a blind man. And what I want you to understand is this. Throughout the week that is to come in your life as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are appointments with people already set for you this week to come. You will cross paths with someone who needs to see an image of Jesus, someone who needs to hear a word from Jesus, and there are some divine appointments that are already lined up for you and me in the week that is to come. Jesus is fulfilling this divine appointment with a blind man. Our prayer together is that we will fill our divine appointments with those people in a classroom or the workplace or Walmart or Food Line or wherever they might be in this week that is to come. So as Jesus meets this blind man, he has been in darkness all of his life. He was born blind. He was filled with darkness from birth. And the disciples ask Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, looking at this blind man sitting here blind from birth, was he blinded because of some sin he committed? Did Jesus strike him, or rather, did God strike him blind because of a sin he committed? Or perhaps his parents committed some grievous sin, and therefore God struck him blind in the womb. Is that true? And, and Jesus said, absolutely not. But rather, the reason this man has been born blind is this is a divine appointment to see the love and the healing and the grace and the blessing of God Almighty in his life. 
I'm going to fulfill that divine appointment to bring a healing to this man. So the life of blindness is an opportunity to see how God will work in his life. Without speaking to the blind man then, Jesus kneels by his side. And he spits in the dirt of the ground and he takes his finger and he creates a salve with that spittle and that dust. And he takes that salve of clay and he wipes it on that blind man's eyes and he gives him a commission. He says, now that your eyes have been anointed, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This is a pool of clear water that is through the city, outside of the city gate. And that man is to make his way as a blind man through the city and through the people of the city, getting outside of the gate, washing in that pool of Siloam. But he had to obey the request of Jesus Christ in his life to see that healing come. He was anointed, and then he was told to go and wash. He had to obey what Jesus told him to do, and he did. He goes to wash in the pool of Siloam, and his physical blindness is gone. It is healed. He is blessed. He is given physical sight. He's miraculously received that gift after a lifetime of being blind. Now, he's a very familiar face in Jerusalem. How does a blind man make a living? The only way a blind person could make a living was to sit on a street corner where passersby would come and they would drop a few pennies in a collection receptacle of some sort and he would eke out a living simply by sitting on a street corner and waiting on the goodness of people to drop in a few cents that he might be able to eat that day. A very familiar face and yet people see him come back to the street corner after a lifetime of blindness and now he is seeing. And so human nature being what it is, they ask the question, how is it that you have been healed? How did you get a healing of blindness and now you're seeing? Well, it's a question that we would ask a friend of ours as well. Human nature has not changed. They wanted to know how this miracle came about in his life. How did it happen? And he tells them about a man. And he tells them about clay. And he tells them about the pool of Siloam. And he tells them about a healing of physical blindness. Now, I want you to remember at this point, as this man came back from the pool of Siloam to which Jesus sent him, when he came back, Jesus was not there any longer. He had never seen Jesus with his physical eyes. He was blind when he met him. He left for the pool of Siloam. When he came back seeing, Jesus was not there. So he had never seen Jesus with his physical eyes at this point. Well, the religious leaders now come back into the picture. If you were with me last week or weeks prior, you know that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, play a big part in the Gospel of John. And sadly, they do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. They do not see Him as the miracle worker. They do not see Him as coming from God the Father. So these religious leaders who hate Jesus now get involved with the blind man. And they pepper the former blind man with questions. They even call on his parents to confirm that indeed this is the man who was born blind in your home. Identify him as your son, and they do. And while the scribes and the Pharisees had to acknowledge that somehow this man who had been blind all his life is now healed, they would not give Jesus the glory. They would not give Jesus 
the credit for healing him or being from God. He could not be the Christ. He could not be the Savior. He was a sinner. He was a troublemaker. He was a criminal because he worked on the Sabbath day. When he stirred around that dirt and spittle, that was work on the Sabbath day. When he anointed the eyes, that was work on the Sabbath day. When he brought about the miracle of healing, that's work on the Sabbath day. He's a criminal. He broke the law of God. So they wouldn't recognize him as the Son of God, but rather as the lawbreaker of God's Word. Well, truthfully, Jesus did give these religious leaders trouble. He had pointed them out and called them out as fake, as phony, as hypocrites, because as they dressed up in their fancy robes and as they held all the attention of all the people of Israel teaching the Word of God, they had a true problem in their life. They taught the Word of God, but they did not know the God of the Word. They didn't know God in their heart. They knew head knowledge, but they had no heart knowledge of God the Father. They'd never given God the Father their heart. So they were fakes in that they were teaching the Word of God, but they didn't have a personal relationship with the Father. And Jesus called them out on it, and they hated Him for it. They hated Him so deeply for it that they had put together a plan to kill Him, murder Him, get Him off of the face of the earth. But the last sentence that we studied last week in this Gospel of John is this. The religious leaders said to this blind man who is now healed, that man is a sinner. And the healed man said, whether he is a sinner or perfect, I know not. But this I know. I once was blind, but because of him, now I see. He is the healer. He is the one who gave me my sight. Well, as Paul Harvey has said in the past, today is the day now we learn the rest of the story. So turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to look through the verses to the end of chapter 9. Go with me to verse 26 is where we pick up today. Hear these words as now the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, are still talking to this man about his healing. And here's where we pick up, verse 26. Then they said to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Keep your Bible open. But as we hear this portion of Scripture, to me the Scripture gets rather humorous. We see this man who has been healed of his blindness, and he gets frustrated with the hardness of these religious leaders' hearts. I want you to go back to verse 26. The Pharisees ask him a question. How? Tell us how. 
were you healed? But if you look back in chapter 9, you will find that they've asked him that same question three other times in verse 10 and 15 and 19. This is the fourth time they've asked this man the same question. How is it that you were healed? So they've repetitively asked him the same question over and over. And he's getting tired of giving them the same answer over and over. So the former blind man is getting frustrated with them. They're asking the same question. He's giving the same answer, but they will not hear him. In fact, he gets so bold with these leaders, and here's where I see the humor. Look at verse 27, chapter 9, verse 27. He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? They ask, how were you healed? And he says, I've told you, I've told you how I was healed. And then he asked the Pharisees a question. Are you guys thinking about being his disciples too? I want you to understand, he is pulling their last nerve right there. He knows how much these guys hate Jesus. He knows how much these guys want to make him a criminal. And yet he says, are you all thinking about being his disciple too? So he is really plucking a nerve here. And he has the leverage to do it. Because here's the former blind man, blind all of his life, and now he is seeing he has been healed. And they have to acknowledge it. Even his parents have said, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was healed. Yes, he was blind from the womb. And now he's healed. So these men could not refute the miracle that indeed, somehow, this blind man had been healed. Verses 27 through 33, these religious leaders, now they're getting mad with him. Because he's plucking their nerves. And they say, we follow the word of Moses in the Bible. We don't know the man who touched you. We don't know where he came from. But he's definitely not from God. He's a criminal. He's a lawbreaker. And in verse 32, the healed man says, You know, since the world began, we've never heard of anyone who has been healed of a blindness from birth. And this man, whom I do not know, and this man, whom I have never seen, Gave me sight. Gave me the ability for my life to be flooded with physical light. I can see sunlight now. I can see the moon and the stars at night now. I never could in my life. I look forward to the sights that I will see. In chapter 9, verse 33, he says, If this man were not from God, there's no way he could have done what he did for me. He is from God. He is a man from God. I want you to look at this moment. This former blind man is not yet saved. He is on his way. He's making his way to Jesus. He's acknowledging that he is from God. He is not yet saved, but he is already an amazing witness to the truth of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. He's not yet given him his heart, but he's giving him a witness that he knows he is from God Almighty. And that last statement pushed these religious leaders over the edge. Look at verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Wast thou altogether, or rather, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. You know, I believe that the Pharisees and the scribes were stumbling at this point, just trying to find something to say to him. Basically, what they're saying in this verse is, What do you know? We're the ones that have the education. We're the ones who have the 
diplomas on our wall. You were born in sin. You know nothing like we know. These words meant they were going to push him down any way they possibly could, and then they gave him the greatest uh, slap in the face of all. Scripture says they cast him out. That does not mean that they escorted him off of the temple grounds or escorted him from the place where he was standing. When it says that they cast him out, it means that they denied to him, as religious leaders, they denied to him for the rest of his life the ability to come into the temple or to go into any synagogue in the nation of Israel. You are never going to worship with your family ever again. We are excommunicating you from the temple grounds and from all the synagogues of Israel. You can never worship there again. They cast him out. It brought great shame on a Jew to be cast out, ostracized from his own family. Okay, now the scene changes. After they have this interchange, which really became an old-fashioned shouting match, but after the interchange came and after he was cast out, the scene changes. This former blind man is out on the streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine what he's seeing? He's seeing the sights of the city that he perceived that he was walking through, but he'd never seen them before. He was seeing the people who perhaps had spoken to him many times before, or dropped a few pennies in his cup. He'd never seen their face before. He was seeing them for the first time. But also remember, he's got this cloud over his head because he's been denied the privilege of ever worshiping with them again. He could never go into the temple again in Jerusalem. He'd been cast out. There was a great public shame as he walked through the city that day because so many people knew the decision of the religious leaders to cast him out. Well, let's pick up Scripture here, verses 35 through 41. Go to John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. If there's a verse to underline, that's the one today. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am coming to this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, Therefore, your sin remaineth. May God add his blessing to his word here. Jesus finds this healed man out on the streets of Jerusalem, taking in the sights, but also carrying the pain of being cast out of the synagogues and temple. I'm sure he's amazed at all that he's seeing, but he's carrying that public shame with him. As we see that, I want you to remember that this man had never seen Jesus with his eyes yet. He is meeting him for the first time this moment. So a virtual stranger to him walks up to him and says, Do you believe on the Son of God? And the man said, Who is he? Where is he that I might find him, that I might believe on him? 
And I love verse 37 and the way Jesus puts it, the way Jesus says it. He says, oh, yes, you've seen the Son of God because I who talk to you am he. You are looking the Son of God directly in the face with those brand new eyes. You're seeing me for the first time. You're talking with me for the first time. Now, this is not only one of the highest points of the Gospel of John. This is the climactic moment of the biblical story. All of the Bible is directed to call you and me to believe in the love of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. All of the Bible rotates around the centerpiece of Jesus as the Son of God. And the invitation of all of the Bible is to come to Him as Lord and Savior and God of our life and to follow His will and His path and His Word in our life. That's all of the Bible rotating around Jesus the Son and we who believe in Him. And so when this man says, Lord, I believe, it is the culmination of all that the Bible stands for, coming to Jesus as Lord and Savior and God. It's a wonderful moment. You need to star it because this is a centerpiece of the message of the Bible. That sends shivers down my spine when I think about the message of the Bible fulfilled in Jesus Christ, leading us to belief and faith. And here's the man who says, Lord, Lord, you are the Lord of the universe, and I believe you. Shivers, as Sheila Wood used to say, gives me chicken skin. But his physical eyes had been opened. And now, the eyes of his spirit, and the eyes of his heart, and the eyes of his soul could see. Jesus, his Savior, Lord, I believe. So, there are two miracles in this passage. The greater of the two being his salvation. He did get his physical eyes, but he came to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior, which is by far the greater miracle. And what's interesting here to me is Scripture says in this moment, he worshiped Jesus. Do you see that in your Bible? He worshiped Jesus. In that moment that he says, Lord, I believe, he worships Jesus. He didn't say, let's go around the corner here in a private place and let me worship you. I'll wait a few days and I'll come back and I'll worship you. I want to quietly and discreetly worship you, Lord, but I don't want all these people on the street singing. Doesn't say that at all. It says, the moment that he said, Lord, I believe, he worshiped Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that connection? The moment he gave his life to Christ, he worshiped him. That's an important connection. Don't lose it. Don't miss it. He didn't wait a day. He didn't wait till he went to church. He worshiped him that very moment. Now, interesting, interestingly enough as well, Scripture doesn't tell us how he worshiped. What do you picture in your mind when you say he worshiped Jesus? How did he do that? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. Did he hug Jesus? I've had many a person over the years getting ready to go to heaven, and they say, the first thing I want to do when I get to heaven is put my arms around Jesus and hug his neck. Many people have told me that. Maybe he hugged him. Maybe he was a singer. Maybe he sang something. Maybe he danced. Maybe, maybe he reached for the sky in joy. Maybe he fell at his feet. Whatever he did, he worshiped Jesus somehow. 
He worshiped. He gave Jesus the glory not only for healing the eyes in his head, but also healing the eyes of his heart, that he saw him as Savior and Lord and God. I want you to think of this. One day in the future, that man would lose his physical sight again. When his body died, he would lose his physical sight. But I remind you of this, of the Bible's words. And I believe it with all of my heart that the moment I pass away and the moment my eyes close in physical death, the next millisecond, without, without any time going by, I will see my Jesus. I will never lose sight as a believer. And that's true for you, believer. You will never, never lose sight. The moment you pass from this earth to the next, you're going to see Jesus. And that's, a, that's great news, isn't it? That's the gospel of the living Lord, Jesus Christ. We will never lose our sight again. Jesus came to us that the world might see. That's true, a celebration for this man healed of blindness. But the religious leaders here are a different story. Even though they saw Jesus, even though they heard this man receive him as Savior, they still remained hard-hearted against him. They still rejected him. They still refused him. They would not see Jesus as Savior. They saw him with their physical eyes, but they would not see him as Savior. They wouldn't love him as Lord. They denied him. They refused him. They turned him away, and they continued to hate him. And amazingly, the Pharisees had seen what Jesus could do. And they saw who he was. Some of them even heard a man give the ultimate word to Jesus of salvation, I believe. In John chapter 9, verse 40, they asked Jesus, are we blind also? They expected Jesus to say, oh no, you're great men of God. (laughs) You're great teachers. You're teaching Israel well, but Jesus didn't say that at all to them. Look at verse 41, the last verse of chapter 9. Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. In my words, let me paraphrase what I believe Jesus is saying here. He's saying, If you were blind to all I've ever done, if you'd never seen me, you'd be better off. But because you have seen me, and because you have heard me, and because you have witnessed the miracle of sight to the blind, and you have witnessed the miracle of, Lord, I believe in salvation, now you've seen what I can do. And until you receive me, you're condemned for it. Until your hearts turn to me, until you walk toward me rather than away from me, you're condemned for it. You scribes and Pharisees, you've seen it all, and yet by your pride and your hardness of heart, you're still refusing me. You're the sickest ones of all. You're the blindest ones of all because you continue to refuse me. And sadly, you're lost and you're bound for hell. John chapter 9, we see the greatest chasm between the receptive heart and the rejecting heart. One who says, Lord, I believe. And one who's seen it all and says, I still refuse you. I still hate you. I still walk away from you. Well, we insert this image into this day. What does this scripture say to us now, 
2,000 plus years later, well, the question remains, do you see? Do I see? Do I understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Have I received him in my heart, in my life? Have I said in my life, Lord, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe that you're the Savior, and I believe that you're the miracle worker, and you have worked the greatest miracle in all the universe, and that you have forgiven me of sin, and you have healed my heart, and you have made me your son. The greatest miracle of all, Lord, I believe. Can you say that yourself? That you've seen him as Savior and accepted him as Savior. Do you know him? If you do, whether you're here in this sanctuary, listening by streaming today, if you do know him as Savior, then we will do the next thing that the blind man healed did. We will worship him. We will give our lives to him. We will worship Jesus Christ as our Savior We will do something in thanksgiving for him and to him. We will be a witness unashamed. Think about that. Think about this scene on the street of Jerusalem. Wherever this man who had been healed, wherever he was, the streets were busy, always busy. And the moment he said, Lord, I believe, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of whoever was there, he worshiped Jesus. He wasn't ashamed. He didn't care who was there. He was going to worship the Savior. And that same thought is to carry true for you and for me. There is never a place that we should hide our Savior. There's never a place that we should be ashamed of Him. There's never a place that we compromise our life in Him because of the pressure we might be under. We always stand for that Savior. We will always minister for that Savior. We will always speak for that Savior. We will always be a representative of that Savior wherever we are. Whatever the company might be, we will stand for our Jesus, just as the blind man healed did. There's the carryaway for today. Wherever we are, we will worship Him because, praise God, once we were blind, But now we see. He deserves our praise. He deserves our honor. He deserves our witness. And he deserves our glory given to him. How will we worship him today? When you meet your appointments this week to come, how will you speak for Jesus when that person crosses your path? Bear that in mind and carry it with you today because those appointments will come to you, believer. Somehow, somewhere this week, there are some divine appointments waiting for you and for me. Stand up for our Jesus, the one who gave us sight and salvation. And if you've never come to Jesus as your Savior today, you stand in a moment of the most important decision of your entire life. And that's not just preacher talk. This is the most important decision of your life. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, again, here in this sanctuary, listening by streaming or outside on an FM signal, wherever you are, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you stand at the threshold of the most important decision you could ever make in life because this is the only decision that will stand for eternity. And that's to receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, to simply say, Lord, I believe the greatest healing can come to you. He will give you the sight 
to see him as your Lord and to follow his footsteps and to follow his word and to live for him. This instant, Jesus can give, your, give you sight just saying yes to him and you will see the Savior when you say, yes, Lord, I believe. And you can follow him every day of your life. Just let that miracle come to you. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll wait till I'm better. I'll wait till I, I've read the Bible through. Or I'll wait till I'm older. I'll wait till I've sown my wild oats, whatever you might say. Don't, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait another moment, much less another day, to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe you come today. Wherever you are, you come today. Church home, whatever you need, the Savior, the Savior of miracles and healing, giving sight to the blind, meets us right here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these precious moments. Lord, thank you that all of us as believers, brothers and sisters, whether we're gathered here in a sanctuary or streaming online or on an FM signal, all of us as believers can say, Lord, I once was blind, but through Jesus Christ I now see. Thank you for my physical sight, Lord, but thank you more importantly for seeing you as my Savior with my heart, my soul, my strength. Thank you that one day when these eyes close in death, there will not be one millisecond till I will open them seeing you. I will never, never be blind again. Thank you for that healing, Lord, that comes only by your grace through your cross of Calvary and your resurrection from the grave. Thank you. When I say, Lord, I believe, it's a promise of eternity. If there's one who's never said that, today is the day. This is the moment. This is the opportunity. And this is the invitation. May he or she come to you, I pray. Could be in another part of the world listening today. The invitation stands. I pray they will come. Bless us in this moment, church home, whatever the need. Bless us now in this moment of decision in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.